Good evening and welcome to a new FC Matters. It's Friday night, so it's the three amigos and a very happy birthday to Steve Hasty. <laughs> happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday, mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Christmas baby. What a way to spend it. Driving all the way to Scotland to pick your beautiful daughter up and have her bring right. her all the way back on your birthday of all days. I hope she's treating you, that's, mate. That's, that's dad duties for you, isn't it? You know? I share my birthday with <laughs> Keith Richards and Steven Spielberg. So, you know... Not a bad two combinations. If I last as long as Keith Richards, I'll be happy, I tell you. <laughs> you lived a life like Steve, uh, Keith Richards as well. I know that much. Hey, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, as always, plenty to talk about with Newcastle United. Um, and, I, I mean, where to start, really? Um, you know, Chip has a straight in with a point. So uh, let's let's start with that because we'll get bogged down in, in other stuff if we start with what, what I know people like us to start with. Seeing a stack comparing 50 games between Bruce and Rafa and we're only three points better. Bearing in mind that is with a hundred million pound investment. Carol and Fraser in. What do the lads think about this? It's a joke. So, yeah, I saw that. Uh, Mitch, I saw that stat and um, it didn't come as a surprise to me because it's Steve no. Bruce. And with the stories once again rearing their head today, which um, we've heard uh, and I'm sure other supporters have heard as well about dressing room unrest, um, it would it, that that goes a long way to um, suggesting that you know possibly he has you know he has lost the dressing room a little bit and um, there has been some kind of altercation. It's all allegations, it's all rumours, it's all flying around at the moment. But I always say there's no smoke without fire, Mitch. Mm. And um, those stats would would back it up, back up what we already know. Steve Bruce is uh, he's not a great manager. Well. But I, I'm I'm kind of personally over the Rafa Bruce comparisons. It frustrates life out of us. You're comparing apples and pears in many many ways. Um, I, it it comes back to this argument that we spoke about for the last two or three weeks. Um, if you take pure results and you look at you know where we are on the table points wise, um, uh, quarter final of a cup. Um, it, it, on the on the face of it, you should be happy. But you look at how we're playing football, we're intelligent enough to know the biggest difference between the style that Rafa had and what we've got at the minute is they always looked like there was a plan with Rafa and they looked organised. And um, you would go through a game where we had maybe 30 to 40% of the possession, but what keeper would be making half the amount of saves. Um, the football was very, very different. It was a very different style. And it all, all, there was times... But 1-0 with 10 minutes to go, we sometimes look quite comfortable under Rafa. It's so far from different under Bruce. It's so far from that, we don't look comfortable at all. Um, that game against Leeds, particularly the last three, two goals, sorry, were even even some of the some of the pundits now who were back in Bruce were starting to say, hang on a minute, is that a team who'd given up that weren't playing for the guy? Because it certainly looked like it. I mean, that, that goal where the, you've got three Leeds players ready to roll it in the back of the net and there's not a Newcastle player in sight bar the keeper, um, for me, says it all. Two goals conceded from our own corners <laughs> is outrageous. And then we get word, and, and you're right, our dressing room has a history of being leaky. 
our dressing room has a history of things getting out very, very easily. And that's been the way I seem to think since sort of the, the mid-80s anyway. Um, but, you know, we've heard things from different sources. Um, the, the, the the same source that uh, I was made aware of about the ESM being pulled from the flight manifest at the last minute. So it was uh, saying he left Newcastle Airport in a plane, private jet yesterday with no necessarily a, a, a return date on the cards. And so if if that's the case, if he has left, he's certainly not a victim of COVID because uh, um, he's getting on a plane and going somewhere. Uh, he was also he was also putting pictures of his new boots on Instagram just before the West Brom game. Now, that might be contractually something he's had to do. But it seems a bit strange for a player who's not involved in the game. So I think we need to start a campaign, Mitch, which is Où est Alain Saint-Maximin? That was my best <laughs> hey, French hey. accent. <laughs> Bien sûr. <laughs> <laughs> that was my trick of French coming through there, lads. But uh, yeah, I'll stick that out on Twitter and maybe we'll, co we'll copy him in and we'll see whether uh, see whether we'll get a response because uh, he's usually quite active on social media, but there's been a complete yeah. lack of social media posts. And that... And, and that same uh, source is also the one that's suggesting that there's a, there's a core of players um, who are not happy at all. And that there's, a, there's, an, a, there's definitely a case for Bruce having lost the dressing room in some way, shape or form. Um, and I find his press conference today quite baffling talking about Mitrovic. What on earth is he thinking about effectively... Talking up their substitute striker, you know it, what? On, what on earth kind of line of attack or policy is that to talk about somebody who left the club? Um, we had this ongoing argument with a core of the, with a certain core of the fan base about they weren't happy about Mitrovic being managed out, and they wished they had Mitrovic back. And there was loads of you know comparisons between Mitrovic and whoever happened to be playing up front for at the time probably for about the first 80 months after he went. That's been dead and gone, and that argument's been put to bed for ages. Um, so why drag that up now? It just all seems really weird. just doesn't make any sense to me. Steve, there's no logic in it, is there really? Our best player, people couldn't have couldn't have imagined playing games without him this season, um, suddenly disappeared into the ethos. No, you know, no word about what's going on. Rumours abound that he's... You know, essentially, you know, maybe he's got an injury. Has he got COVID? But nothing coming out of the club. No, and it, and this is part of the course, isn't it? It's been part of the course for quite a long time now. Um, you know, the total lockdown of, of news. Uh, we've we've said we've said for weeks and weeks now that that Bruce's Achilles' heel that has been that the the fans and his saving grace has been that there's been no fans in the ground. Because the performances that we've seen uh, recently would tell you that with a with a full St James's Park, uh, especially a full Melbourne stand, by the way, where we sit, he would have been under immense pressure. I think would have been of Pardew-esque status. Um, you know, we wouldn't have seen we would have seen him hovering around in the dugout area again. He certainly wouldn't been been standing on the cinder track. Uh, do you remember Pardew when he hid? You know, and the crowd <laughs> got at him. And I, I, you know, I had visions of that type of thing. I mean, 
Mitch is right about the about the club. We've always had a dressing room that's leaked. And going back through, you know, even further, Mitch, you go back to the Richard Dennis days and you know the player revolt mm. that there was when when it looked like they were going to bring someone in to replace Dennis and and you know after Gordon Lee uh, left and Dennis took charge for a short period of time. And I can remember the likes of Irving Napris and and Kennedy uh, standing uh, with the press and threatening to go on strike if if they didn't give Richard Dennis the job. So player power and the, the dressing room bust-ups have, have pervaded for God knows how long. And then you, you go back to the into the, the you know the early part of, of uh, the last twenty years, the business with um, Carroll, uh, Nolan. Barton, Harper, uh, that went on there with the dressing room and who was controlling it. I, I remember a story not too long ago, and I'm sure it was uttered by Bruce, that, you know, the people that, you know, he, he liked the idea of players running the dressing room on his behalf, you know, certain players he relied on. And that was that was very much a story that was played out um, in the earlier part of this season. And uh, ha- has it backfired on him? You know, have, have the... Have the strong men in the in the in the dressing room whose performances, quite frankly, have been fairly poor to say the least. Uh, have they have they lost faith in him? Um, it's the, the the trouble is with Newcastle that because it's a hotbed, because we're desperate for news, we we live on we live on snippets, and because we live on snippets, those snippets become. Massive, massive issues for the football club, and they've never really managed that PR. They've never really managed that particular mm. part of the club for God knows how long now. Rafa had a kind of grasp on it, but the arguments that Rafa had were with people higher up. He knew how to look after a changing room. You know, he, he knew that the easiest way when he had a problem with Mitrovic was to send him out on loan for a half a season, um, that type of thing. You know. His arguments were always with above. I was fascinated by the little snippet in the paper this morning for a left for a drive up to Glasgow that said that um, it looked as though what, that it was getting so bad and it was implied that they were going to call Charlie in to sort it out. And that just made us <laughs> that made us giggle. And I thought, oh, hey, is it getting that serious? Is it getting that serious that Lee's going to have to go in with a big stick and he's going to have to tell them they've got to start being nice to Steve and stop this uh, schoolboy antics or whatever? That's what it came over like. You know, it's pathetic, absolutely pathetic. And and now, where, where are we with Bruce? You're talking about his the performances. Tuesday night, what was it? Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I've lost track of the, of the days, to tell you the truth. I've done for months, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but that game against Leeds, that performance against Leeds, what we were actually watching, um, I, I, I don't think in the last 10 or 15 years I've seen a midfield, a Newcastle United midfield, has bypassed so many times that it became obsolete. It became pointless. It, it, you began to wonder who actually was playing in the midfield because you weren't seeing anything. The game was passing them all by. I, I, I put a statement out on Twitter. I put something out about Longstaff and I said that you know he, he was he was anonymous and so anonymous in the first half that he certainly wasn't anonymous in the second because the mistakes that were being made were, were landing on his shoulders or at his feet. You know, and I, yeah. I could have. I could have pointed the finger at him for at least three of the goals. I, I thought he should have put. I thought he should have been in a better position to cut out the cross, uh, the cross that was really a nameless ball that the lad stretched and, and hooked over. 
I thought he lost possession in the midfield and I thought he lost his marker for a third goal. But then I think I looked at Hayden and there wasn't much there. The tank seemed empty from about the 35th minute and yet he kept them on. Um, and you look at Hendricks and again, uh, he looked devoid of ideas. He looked devoid of any anything other than he just been sent out and just said, run about. Yeah, just get yourself mm. out there. And the more and more I see of Newcastle United under Bruce, the more I'm convinced that it's the old school, let's get out there and, you know, uh, just try and shake it up a bit, lads, and see what you can do. No pattern, mm. no shape, no plan. Um, embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. What did you make of the performance, Mitch? I mean, look, I, I, I deliberately kept off Twitter. I've got to be perfectly mm. honest after that performance because, you know, what what is the point of going onto Twitter and putting putting something out there and and having a dig? We all we all saw the result. Me personally, um, I prefer now whether it's just because I'm getting a bit older to to maybe sleep on it for 24 hours and have have a little bit think. And I chose the following day just to put up a a picture of Mickey Quinn scoring from the penalty spot and the front page of the pink and saying, this is the 5-2 I'd prefer to remember, which that was my <laughs> way of dealing with it. I did, but I, I just thought, you know, it's, is it, is it, is it, it's, it's pointless going onto social media and having a rant about it because, you know, it's just, all you're going to do is waste an hour of your time getting a load of people going, you know, you know, blah, 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 you're wrong or blah, 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 you're right. And who do you blame and this, and you know, I just didn't want to get into the debate. And I didn't think... It was that bad a performance, really. I mean, if you watch, if you watch back our live coverage of the game, um, you, you go through the emotions. I've noticed it more now, not being at the game and sitting talking to the lads and lasses who mm. do the, the match day live. How were emotions changed during football? So normally we'd all be sitting there, you know, and if your castle score, we'd jump up and down. Doing match day live, you actually see people's emotions changing through the game, which is, which is, it's again to be yeah. a Newcastle United fan experiment. But I'll, I'll, if you go through that, if you go through it and you get, you get the 2-2, then everyone's going great. And we're, we're all talking about the substitutes and we're talking about who's coming on and get, get Dwight Gale on, get Jacob Murphy on, you know, this is it. You know what I mean? We can push on, mm. go for the, go for the, go for the game, go for the goal, go for the winner. And then we get hit with a sucker punch. Oh God! And then you see the comments coming in. Bruce out. Um, this yeah. is garbage. This is rubbish. Um, you know. But ten minutes ago, when it got to two-two, and we all had a chance of pushing on, everyone was like, "God, oh, come on, we could win this." So you've got to, you've got to beg. I, I asked the question with Malcolm and Gibbo last night. I was saying it's, it's a little bit like, is Steve Bruce managing it almost like a supporter? You know what I mean? He's like, he's getting carried away in the moment, and he's just naive. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the nous to think tactically and think, actually, a point away at Elland Road against a team nice. banging four and five goals in against teams in and around them yeah. isn't a bad result. Maybe I should stick a defender on. Maybe I should sit back. Uh, because what what you know what difference does it make? He sits back he sits back full full time anyway. It's just it's just funny that it's gone through my mind since then. So, you know, I, I wasn't too disappointed, but, you know, 5-2 wasn't a fair reflection of the game. I know I've waffled on there, but 5-2 wasn't no, a fair reflection on the game, I don't think. I think you're right in terms of, as I said before, I think at 3-2, I think the white flag came out from some of those players. And I think that's the thing that bothers me more uh, and is a reflection of how the dressing room 
is with the manager, I think. Um, I think there's uh, players out of form who probably need to be taken out the firing line if possible. Um, Lewis being the example. Um, I don't think the kid's a bad player at all. Um, but I think he just... Um, is he the only genuinely fit left-back we've got? I don't think he is now. Um, so maybe there was time just to take him out the firing line a little bit after the previous performance. You see, I had the other side of this, because as, as people probably know, um, the, the bar at my, my local, as it were, over here is is where the Leeds fans get. Uh, and I actually watched the game with them. And it was fascinating to get their side of things. Um, as it happens, I wasn't on me, Todd. There was another lad there, another Jody there, who I've actually not seen in ages. He's been away for a while. Uh, and he rocked up as well. So it was about it was about 30 to 2. Um, and we were sat with them. And, and one of the lads who was... It was uh, quite uh, uh, you know always quite forthright just about predicted how the first 70 odd minutes would go straight away everything he said about his own team was was correct about how they would 100% concede from a corner against us he was convinced in a 2-2 their their body language and their emotions on the roller coaster were the, the total opposite of us you know it was the, was the proper reflection you know um but the one thing he did say, he, he says, is they'll commit for 100% to the 95th minute and they're very fit as a team. And we genuinely look knackered at the end. Now, you could and uh, trot the COVID argument out for s- some of our players. But again, isn't that up for the manager to manage it all better, understanding that that's the case? Because he's he, he, he was quick to trot the excuse out. So... Um, it's it's a real that's again a reflection on game management and understanding how the squad is, and and it just seems to be he picks an eleven. Um, sometimes with players, you know, with like no no proper fullbacks in the side, for example, and you think I couldn't work out before the game kicked off. You could have put that eleven into about four different formations quite comfortable. Nobody seemed to know what the what the plan was. Um and it was a, a little bit of a surprise that it was four four two. Again, I spoke to somebody on Twitter who who said, Well, the most logical formation is gonna be yeah, back to five at the back, and it's this this is the formation. And my response was, Well, that's the most logical suggestion, so therefore that's the one that's most far from correct. And that turned out to be the case, you know. Um very, very frustrating. Um, no, we probably didn't deserve the five-two, but in other ways we did because what the hell were they doing for for the for all you know? The last one was a screamer, screamer of a finish, but it, it could have been stopped much earlier. Our back four, like I said on Twitter, our back four jockeys more than Leicester Piggott, and that's that's for somebody who was you know the best centre back never capped for for England's what what, what uh, manager. Um, and for two of those goals, we could have had challenges put in, or somebody should have been in a position to see. I'm taking a yellow here for the team, um, tactical, and we didn't even look like we'd give a monkey's chuff about it. And that, that's for me, is the most worrying part of it all is the attitude just stuck. Yeah, there was definitely people who went hiding, Steve. I mean. A lot of the criticism on social media has been directed towards Sean Longstaff and Jamal Lewis. Is that fair? Uh, no, because the, 
there's two lads. Let, let's take Lewis, for example. When Lewis first came out, he looked like he, he had something about him as a defender. He looked as though he was a good attacking left-back. Um, at the moment, he looks like a left-back, a lad who has turned up and just been sent out to have a run around and hope that everything works works well for him. It doesn't look as though that there is anything um, organisationally in anywhere across the back four for a start. And because of that, that young lad is suffering because that young lad needs proper coaching. That young lad needs needs a leader alongside him. He needs someone to talk him through the game. He needs help. He needs that sort of assistance. He's not getting it from the touchline and he's not getting it from his compatriots in the team, his teammates. Mitch said 30 to 2. That was the number that he used before as the, the number of uh, Leeds fans to Newcastle fans. It was also probably not far off the number of shots on target yes. from Newcastle, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, Longstaff, again, Sean looks like he needs someone alongside him to just let him know where he is. The, the, the whole of that midfield looks, and well, the whole of the team looks devoid of a leader, looks devoid of any confidence, looks devoid of leadership. It looks devoid of anyone who can turn around and lead by example, take the game by the scruff of the neck, take your teammates by the scruff of the neck. All top teams have somebody in that midfield who can help to drive you forward. Yeah. Uh, Henderson, for example, at Liverpool. There's an example of someone who, you know, goes out there full of fire. You go back to Man United with Roy Keane. You go back to Liverpool with a, uh, Arsenal with a Patrick Vieira. Players like that. That's what a manager he, he exemplifies the manager's message on the pitch. The captain goes out and and puts out that message for the ninety minutes. You know, he's the he's the orchestrator, he's the cadula, he's the he's the man who does the shouting, the ball, and he does the work of the manager on the pitch. And we haven't got anyone like that in our squad. Nobody whatsoever. Um, we've got we're not even horses for courses. We're we're just I, I, we're confidence looked shot. I know what you're saying about you know when it got to two two, the game could have gone any way, and it probably could have. And when it got to two two, you would have thought. This is your perfect chance to shut up shop and get it, get because we're good at that. We, oh, we, we sometimes appear to be good at being able to close close a game off like that. And if we close that off at two at two two, the vast majority of Castle fans would be absolutely delighted. You know, some some may have said, you know what, that game was there for the take, and we could have nabbed that three two. We've got, you know, our stats show that we come on strong towards the end, but knowing what he had. At his disposal, knowing the problems that he's had with COVID, with all the data that he would have had in front of him about how players were performing, what you know, how they were running, the messages that would have been coming from his coach and staff behind him. What needed to happen was go, Steve, we're shutting up shop now. Shut up shop, close it down, we'll take a point. We'll take yeah. a point. And and okay, stick Gale on, stick him up front, and it we may salvage something. We may get another corner, and we may get another goal from a corner. As Neil said, that their Achilles' heel, um, and we may nab well, something towards the end. But the most important thing for that midfield is you shut up shop. They went out like a bunch of school kids. 
they just ran all over the place. They just it was like a yeah. scattergun last fifteen minutes, and that's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough from the touchline. It's not good enough on the pitch. And the just desserts was we got absolutely hammered in the end. The record books won't show that we did really well for 80, 83, 84 minutes. The record books show that we got beat 5 2. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Mark says, uh, I tweeted yesterday 2 2. That would never have happened under Rafa. Never. Organised, tactically set up for 90 minutes. Rafa or his assistants barking orders yes. for 90 plus minutes. And that is true. And again, I know you've just said, you do, you know, you parked that argument a while back, Rafa against Bruce, but it always rears its head because people in the media tend to use the comparison, you know what I mean? And these stats come up and that, that is a fact that wouldn't have happened under Rafa. Bruce is tactically naive in that department and it surprises you when he played defence, you know, as a defender all his life and won, won medals galore. Yeah. I mean, that's the is the one thing. Like I said earlier, it, it, at least in the Rafa, we looked organised and we looked like we had a clue about what we were doing. And and Rafa was out there in the technical area, pointing his fingers and waving his arms and kicking every ball with them. Sometimes because that's what he felt players needed to to do what he wanted them to tactically. Um, and that's what we don't have. We have somebody who pretty much uh, claps his hands and shouts a lot. He burps and, and, chew, and, and chews chewing gum and talks to Steve Agnew about what he's having for his tea, I think. Um, well, I was going to say, Steve was saying about stats. I think the only stats he's probably got in his mind is what's on Greg's menu. Exactly. <laughs> what did he... Can you, Mitch, Mitch, you know when you saw the team uh, the other night, were you were I, you scratching your head as to why on earth he dropped those four players and why yes. why why they were all on the bench? Yep. Um, and... Why, like somebody's just made point on the screen, when we've got three right, right full-backs at the club, did we have a right winger at right full-back? Yeah. Um, just because it worked in the desperation stakes when he was chucked on at the last minute and and, and put in a beautiful cross from right back because we were chasing a, a win against the poor West Brom team. You know, it, it's like, it's again, it comes back to, well, that works la worked last time, so we'll have a go at that again. You know, it... it, it, it you can't tell me there's, there's any more planning than that going into that decision. Yeah, when we've got three right fullbacks at the club who, who are proper right backs, I know people didn't like a couple of them quite a lot, but it, that's by the by, that's that position. And it comes back to the square pegs and round holes. Why play him there? When you're playing that formation, do you put a young kid on who was not a right fullback? He's a right winger. He's done well a couple of times as a, as a wing back. Um, I, I know a proper fullback in football these days, as I remember it, is a dying breed. They're nearly all wingers who've who've changed positionally um, these days. There's very few proper Frank Clark type fullbacks out there anymore. Um, it, it, it it they really all seem to be converted wingers nearly now. Um, Murphy's not a converted winger. The kid's still a winger, and and when you got right backs who you know could do a job there in that situation from the the, the kick off, who okay again because we don't know who's had COVID, who's been suffering from symptoms, who's fatigued, who's not. But again, if some of those guys were fatigued, surely they shouldn't have even been on the bench. It should have been a case of who else, who else can we bring from that squad together to put onto the bench. And and have a little bit of bit of nouse about player management, not 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 game management, not formational, 
but about the management of those players. Um, Hayden, who they said was really quite poorly, seems to have put two shifts in, um, which the lad shouldn't be being asked to do, in my opinion. Um, he, he shifted centre back, was outstanding, and then he's in, you know, in the team again doing something different uh, a few days later. And surely there's better ways to manage the playing staff than that. Yeah, was about, I, was about I just 20... want to say, yeah, just want to say, thanks, thanks to everybody for the kind messages. I, I, I do tend to skip through them because there's so many on a Friday. But Toon fan in particular is saying thanks to us for uh, for getting them through some pretty dark days this year. And Jason Carter said the same. And lots of birthday messages, Steve. So I'm sure you would like to say something about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks very much. I'm not. I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I think it was my brother that put it up on Twitter. And they used to blame for it. I think they blame, but they're very, very nice to people. You know, I'm not tell them how old I am because they'll probably know anyway. And I look older than I really am as well. It's even worse. Um, I was going to say, do, do you think? Do you think Bruce got carried away with the fact that he's gone what uh, has has never had three straight wins off the belt? Do you think he looked at that and thought, you know what? I'm desperate to break that. I'm desperate to break it. And do you think do you think he got carried away as a supporter would? You know, you mentioned it earlier, Steve. You know that he, he did. Did he put was that was that part of his his rationale? And it, if it was, then that's that's shocking. You know, Hayden. You go back to Hayden and, and what Mitch has just said. I think it was about the thirtieth minute, round about the time you got booked midway through the first half, and you, you saw him look at the referee, and he went down on his hands and knees. And he was doubled over and he was looking across and he, he wasn't blown out his backside. He was blown out from every orifice that he had. He was he looked absolutely shattered. And and I thought he's this lad's asking to come off here. I honestly thought this the mess the, the signals were coming out. I was expecting the camera to then go to the bench and to see Bruce talking to Agnew and talking to Clements and getting the clipboard out and, and going, well, you know, what what can we do? What we do? He's not going to make it through the first half here. What what changes can I make? And, and and all of that, and we didn't. Now, whether that was because it was Amazon Prime and they only had three cameras there, one of which seemed to be permanently on Bielsa, um, I'm not too sure. But if I saw, I, I saw more of Bielsa in that game then I think I saw of, of most of the Newcastle striker force, to be perfectly honest. I mean, how many times did they focus in on Bielsa? It was ridiculous. And and I'm not going to say anything about the shocking camera work and the shocking film. You know, if, if you had it, if you had it, I don't know how many other people did, but I had, I had to switch off and reboot for to just even get a decent, decent. Uh, sort of focus on the on the screen one particular point. I was broadcasting from from the show and it was affecting the broadcast I mean I, I literally was in slow motion most of the time because of the amount the amount of power it was taking to, to, to put that on my laptop I tried to watch it on the same device this this laptop's nearly dead in the water but to be honest it was a bit of a nightmare and um yeah, yeah I, I I agree the, the camera work and all that was shoddy uh we had more as you say more shots of Bielsa sitting on his bucket like who woolly than anything else <laughs> Exactly, exactly, and and I mean, I had at one point, I had, a, I had, a, I was, I was watching on Pro TV. I was, I've got Amazon Prime, and at one point, I had to switch from the normal Amazon that comes through the TV onto the Fire Stick and watch it through the HD HDMI three channel that I've got on the Fire Stick to get a better picture, and that, that actually worked, believe it or not. Having tried twice to just come out the two or five that I, that I watch watch it on, and and. 
change the channel and then go back into it and get the same sort of like it was like that ah, the shaky picture the shaky camera work you know the, the ball seemed to be flying so much quicker than the rest of the players and the rest of the, what was going on you know it was, it was all over the place but when i changed it it was much better now if if the likes of amazon are going to be you know looking at, at being a serious contender for you know future tv deals they've got to do something about that feed and i know that there's there's all sorts of issues like you have the issues anyway with with the with the stream that you get and in from your uh, internet provider but dear me you know there's got to be something that's got to be done because we can't carry on watching watching games in that manner but getting getting back to getting back to the to the players themselves and, and the performance um it's it's just where do we go from here guys where do we go what what what, what happens tomorrow do, do we expect Mitrovic to now have a super game? Because that's how we started this programme, talking about Mitrovic and, and having him buoyed up. Every press conference now, I hear either the other <laughs> manager or a striker or a goalkeeper or a, or, or a midfielder from the opposition being raised and being lifted. And it, it's a common thing in press conferences now anyway with managers that they've got to, they've got to start off that press conference by saying something good about the opposition's manager that you're going to be playing. You know, oh, Jurgen Klopp, oh, yeah, yeah, I think he's great, me, yeah. Yeah, Harry Redknapp, I think he's great, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's like, it's mental. It's absolutely mental. I would rather they didn't bother with press conferences, to be perfectly honest. Get rid of all this business of sticking the manager on a Friday up in front of the TV screens to come out with the same ridiculous platitudes. And it's even worse because they haven't got... The likes of, dare I say it, a Luke Edwards, a George Colkin, Craig uh, Hope, a, a Liam Kennedy, a, a, a Ryder, you know, Lee Ryder, in front of them to, to, to actually pin them down. They've just on a screen and basically they just talk rubbish. They just come out with cliches and pathetic stuff, you know. So I, I, I would dump the press conferences. I'm, I'm, they don't tell you anything, do they? They don't tell you anything. No, no, you're right, yeah. and um, as you say, that they're not held accountable, and the questions that should be asked are easily avoided. You know, I mean, I'm sure the one question that every single Newcastle fan wants to know is, where is ASM? You know, what is happening with ASM? So we've launched a yeah. campaign today. Where Allenson Maximan? Where is he? What's going on? Tell us, Newcastle United. We're fans. We might not be in the ground. We might not be trudging up to St James's Park. But we want to know what is the matter with a guy who's just signed a multi-million pound contract and who is probably our best midfield player somebody who's got a creative spark somebody who can do something somebody who can put the ball through to Callum Wilson and Dwight Gale and help us score goals and uh, you know keep our place in the top end of the table but why are we not being told where he is is there a problem if there's a problem then we need to sort it out and we need to sort it out quickly because the games come thick and fast over Christmas um, you know, it's it's ludicrous. It's a typical Newcastle United situation, and I, I saw somebody mention in the chat before there. It's like the Ben Arthur situation. Has he had a Barney? Has he had a has he had a Barney with Bruce? Has he had a Barney with Andy Carroll? You know, or one of the players. I mean, Andy Carroll's name keeps getting bandied around. Is, is has something happened in the dressing room? It's all hypothetical. It's all allegations. It's all rumours. None of us know, and we're left as supporters to literally say, "Is this going on? Is that going on?" And when these rumours start, we've all had the text today of various people saying this has happened and there's a player's revolt and this and that and the other. And this is how rumours start. And this is how it all goes around. And we start talking about it and other podcasts start talking about it. And then it becomes 
then it becomes a truth. It doesn't, it's not a lie, it's not a rumor. Then it, it becomes like a half truth, which is dangerous because then it's, mm. you know, then it spreads, you know, then the opposition, the opposition picks up on it, it goes into the newspapers. It, it's an absolute mess. It really, really is. And listening to, you know, Gibbo and Malcolm, the, the, I respect them, you know, those two guys yes. massively, you know, they've got, you know, they've got years of experience. Gibbo's got years of experience as a, as a, as a, as a press man. Malcolm as a as a player and as a manager played at the highest level, got the cup finals, played for England, um, all of that, and you know when they start saying that it's a mess and it's a joke, then you know it, you know it is. We don't need telling that, but they just confirm it, you know. And last night, last night's show, I got a lovely text today from Peter Beardsley, um, saying that he really enjoyed the show last night. He tuned in last night, he watched it, and he loves Gibbo and Malcolm, loves watching them. So, you know, when, when you've got a, a legend of the game, a legend of the club texting you and saying that, um, it's nice to know that we've got somebody like Peter Beardsley sitting at home during COVID watching. And, you know, I love to him and Sandra and the family, you know. But, um, but yeah, it, that's my rant over, Mitch. But it is just, um, you know, it's just it's just the way I'm feeling, you know. Well, no, it's true, though, because, I mean, it, it, as everybody, I'm sure, understands as the weeks go by, we compare notes. And we get the odd day where everything just seems to gun off the hook. And we're getting information from this one, from that one. And then we're, we're sitting comparing what we're getting. And you can see you can see the bits that become Chinese whispers because the next message embellishes it a little bit more. And you can see the stuff where, you, where we go, oh, hang on, there's something in that. Because we're getting a consistent line of information from different sources and different places who, to our best knowledge, can't be talking to each other. It's coming independently. And you're like, oh shit, there's something in this one. Uh, I mean, this this week in general, I don't know what you guys feel, but I think with everything that's been going on this week and the messages we've had, it's probably one of the most schizophrenic weeks in terms of Newcastle and <laughs> that we've had for a long time. Um, we are describing it really, you know, up and down like a tart's niggas. It's just been bloody ridiculous this week, and and it's it's and keeping up with stuff like that. But when we're when we're being told by somebody who was consistently spot on with the information that they give, this is happening. You know, because we've had this, in, in, and I think for all of us, what contact circles have increased in, over time, over the time we've been doing this. And so when you're getting somebody who is consistently on the money with the stuff that they give you, and they say something, uh, you're like, oh, yeah, this, this doesn't sound good. This really doesn't sound good. And it's... And, um, it's it's just another week in the life of a club who um seem to be constantly in the headlines for all the wrong reasons, yeah. which is so frustrating. Stupid. You know what, guys? I think go on, I think go on, other, go on, Steve. I was going to say the other giveaway is that when when stories like this break and that they're, they're it's, a, it's from among the fan base and none of them get picked up by the press. For two or three days, and and that tells you that you know. Three days later, someone in the press then breaks rank because they suddenly realise, well, actually, we're going to have to say something here. We're going to have right. to say what we know, you know. So, but but I'm not saying that they get told to back off or anything like that. But they but, do. But they do, yeah, I, I didn't want to say that, Steve. <laughs> but what I mean is that that. That we kind of get asked to just sort of like, you know, 
temp I what you know what what there's something gone on but we're, we're not gonna you know we don't want to embellish it we don't want to embroider it we don't want it out there we've, we've got it in hand etc and then yeah. nothing happens right nothing happens so the press guy then never gets the it's all sorted there was a problem but it's also they don't get that follow-up and it's that point where one of the press guys usually breaks ranks and then the story yeah. breaks so whether it's the daily mail or the daily mirror or the shields gazette or the chronicle one of those guys will break and 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 decide you know what i'm just going to tell it like it is i'm going to say it. i'm going to yeah. say what i know you know and when that happens it that's when that's when fans like us we go you know what the fan base knew that anyway you know we'll get we'll get it we'll get caught up but it's it's a, it's a mess it's a shambolic mess but it 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 comes back to the relationship that the manager has with his squad, but just as importantly, with his fan base, with the fans of the football club. I don't think, if I'm perfectly honest, that Bruce has a relationship with the fans. No, I can't recall. I can't recall ever seeing anything. I, I get. I get told that of people who know him that he's a great bloke. He's a genuine. He's the genuine article. You know, he's he's a caring. People who have, who who have uh, that he's managed say, you know. He's the first one who'll ring you up if you've got a problem or, you know, you've got a problem at home or there's a problem with your family or with your father or your mother or your auntie. He'll take your arm around you, you'll chat with you. And, and a really, really decent bloke. And yet, he's done nothing since he came to Newcastle that gives any of us any inkling of that. You know, I, we're not seeing him out and about. We're not seeing him meeting fans. We're not seeing him constantly chatting and 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 mixing or or doing anything socially to like get by and i know we've got covid and stuff like that but i'm going right back to the start it's like that's it i'm not saying you should have a a, a a fantastic open relationship with supporters but usually a manager and and all managers they ingratiate themselves to to the supporter base and i don't think I don't think I think that's the one thing that Bruce hasn't grasped since he came to Newcastle. He's he's come in under a cloud, and the cloud has been of his own making because of of the Man United link, the Sunderland link, the 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 whole aspect of of how he got the job, why he took the job, um, the if you remember in the early days it was like. I'm going to change this, but I can't. These players can't be changed. Then he changed it. And we, we, we men you mentioned earlier, Steve, about the results and about the performances and about the comparisons between the two managers. Um, you know, the last two managers were hard, Rafa and, and Bruce. And but but it's like it's it's difficult to catch on. But when, when we listened to the guy from Talk Sport the other night, Adrian Durham, when he yeah. came out and said. There's something not right here. It's and all Newcastle fans on Twitter it was immediately at last someone out in the it, national media get well, and, and, the hold of it. That says and, so much. And Steve, somebody, somebody in the national media who's got a history of winding our fan base up. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you remember the lad went to university up here. He knows the region a little bit, and he knows the fan base a little bit, and so he knows the buttons to press. And I thought it was significant that he came out and said these players aren't playing for Bruce Yeah, like. Yeah. 
because he's, he's, it's somebody who, who it, the reason he gets so many bites out of our fan base on Twitter is he knows the buttons to press and he regularly presses them for that for numbers. It's as simple as that. He knows what he's doing. And for him to come out and say that, I think it's a super significant thing because that's yeah. somebody who normally would be baiting the fan base a little bit Absolutely. to get his show, show's numbers up, you know. And, 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 and channels, somebody recognised it, you know. Yeah, the same channel, the same the same radio program has done exactly the same with Simon Jordan over the last couple of weeks, yeah. with his with his his opinion on the takeover and opinion on on yeah. a number of matters regarding the Premier League, um, regarding um, Project Big Picture, um, and maybe maybe we just like we're over critical because we we sometimes we hear from these guys something we don't want to hear. And, mm. you know, I've started now to sort of just listen to them and just think a little bit about what's being said. Wipe away the chaff, get rid of the, the clickbait bit, you know, the bit that yeah. they're wanting you to snipe at. But actually analyse what they say, think about it rationally, and then take a step back and then and look and and, and, and do your analysis on it and and then come out with your, with your own your own stance, but taking it all into consideration. Because quite often, these guys have amazing contacts, really, really amazing contacts, you know. Um, and invariably, they are right, but it's the manner, sometimes the manner in which it comes over, yeah. and the manager, manner in which they pitch it to us, you know. Um, well, but... Jordan's one in particular. I mean, you guys know I've got a particular beef with Simon Jordan, too. Yes. Um, through an, a former player. Uh, who I know he got to know quite well, but actually within some of the stuff he says, I've now got to the point where I listen to what he says and think actually, there's a point he's making in there that's really really valid, especially when when some guys that you know cross we cross reference stuff with, come back and pretty much say the same thing but in a much more polite way, um, and 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 not as a controversial way. And you think, yeah, there's definitely a point in there that you have to take on board. And you're writing about these, these somebody like him. He'll be talking to people um, that uh, certainly we would love to have access to, because I bet some of the information's gold. And so um, that that's what we're going, we've had to learn it with other journalists as well of late to just take that step back for your bite, because it's just going to then turn into a an internal argument with bits of the fan base having a snipe with each other, and we just don't need that. There's just been too much of that, and we don't need it. And uh, so, yeah, it's 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 been one of them weeks, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Stu Penman. Quick question for you, Steve. Um, he says, if you were allowed a birthday wish, as it's clear we need a ball winner in midfield, who would you choose from between McCreary, Batty, or Teori? What was the third one? I can't say it. Batty, Teori, or McCreary? Uh, Batty. Batty. Okay, I hope that answers your question, Stu. Um, Wayne Bennett uh, is asking about uh, the documentary. Yes, good news. Uh, we've been waiting on Frank Turner, um, the renowned songwriter and uh, musician, to uh, come back to us for use of one of these tracks on the uh, on the documentary. Um, 
this this documentary is not going to have any adverts on. It's uh, it's actually really really long. It runs at two hours long. Um, so it will be on Sunday at six o'clock. So there'll be no live show on Sunday. Uh, it'll be going out at six o'clock until eight o'clock on Sunday night. Uh, think before you tweet documentary. I'm sure you will all enjoy it. Uh, it's certainly, um, you know, for, for something that's been done on zero budget during COVID, I'm very pleased with it, very proud of it, and I think you will all enjoy it. So uh, six o'clock uh, on Sunday. We will be doing a match day live tomorrow. I am not going to be hosting it tomorrow. Um, I will be involved in some way, shape or form. But uh, the Irish Connection are going to host it. Daz and Martin, it's going to be in their capable hands. Uh, so um, should be should be fun. Uh, you will be able to use the comment in the chat on YouTube. Um, but uh, the, unfortunately, they won't be shown on the screen because I'm not going to be running it. So it will be on tomorrow. Newcastle United playing at home to Fulham. Match day live. Uh, so join the, the debate tomorrow and I'll be tuning in from another part of the country. I'm away for work tomorrow and uh, back on Sunday. So uh, hope that answers your question, Wayne. Right, we're coming into the second the second hour of the show, lads, and uh, we've put it off long enough. Um, <laughs> lots of people asking, as always, about the takeover and uh, it's, uh, it's filling the chat up, as always, tonight. Um, let's talk about the BN Sports uh, deal with... Uh, the Premier League and Richard Masters' statement, uh, Mitch. Um, mm. What does it all mean? The simple question that we're getting asked time and time again tonight is, is it good news or is it bad news for TakeOver? It's it's just news, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of fart and no shape with some of this. Um, and we can easily read too much into it. Um, there's things happening in this region which, which we'll no doubt touch on. Um, the deal itself, um, looking at the at the raw numbers and taking into account stuff, I've spoken to um, obviously somebody that Steve and I have worked with quite closely on when we've done stuff, um, particularly with Benzai Group, and that's, that's probably something else to talk about somewhere down the line. Now. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, that's another matter. Um, and, and he's adamant that they've overpaid by anywhere between 50 to 100 million in this market um but it was a a deal that they really have been desperate to get done um securing these rights for them because they've had problems with the french rights and problems with the bundesliga rights um this was the deal they really had to nail down i've been speaking to somebody in qatar with strong links to to be in somebody i've known for a long time um and he was telling me and I think I told you guys, I don't know if I talked about it on here, but I think uh, uh, he was telling me that the, the big round of redundancies they've had in Qatar would be in sports. It wasn't so much about being in financial difficulties. And, and now it was more about making sure that they had the cash available to secure the Premier League rights again. And that's effectively what has happened. That's what they've done. They've, they've gone off, uh, secured them. Seems to have been an uncontested bid. Um, but to tie it in what we want to know about that um, and obviously how it affects takeovers and things like that there's, there's, a, there's a GCC Gulf Cooperation Council meeting coming up and it was supposed to be in Bahrain and it's now been moved into Riyadh in Saudi and the Emir of Qatar is supposed to be attending that GCC meeting which is hugely significant 
um, throughout this, this the, 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 the blockade and boycott, um, Oman, Kuwait, and to a lesser extent, Bahrain have been trying to play intermediaries between the two sides. Um, and to see that conference moved to Saudi with the Emir of Qatar attending is not an insignificant thing geopolitically to use a word that I feel like I've not used in a while. Um, and and that will be significant for the region. When you look on the face of it for being sports, the rights have been sold regionally again, including Saudi. Now, in, in pre-blockade days, Saudi accounted for anything between 12 to 15% of being's marketplace. That's not an insignificant amount of people. You've got to remember, you've got a, a country where 30 million of the population are under the age of 30. And most of those are sport, and in particularly football, daft. Um, and this is why the last thing that um, the big six and the whole big project, big picture, were hiding behind was piracy and the issue of piracy and piracy being fingered at Saudi Arabia is the source of this. Um, and it was the one, one last thing that they had in place. Now, if this agreement was to lead to where um, there is all the official unbanning of being in from Saudi and that marketplace is back open to be in, um, then there can be no hiding behind the piracy issue. There can be no. But bearing in mind, there's still millions of people in Saudi have very uh, legal being prescription, uh, subscriptions, as it were, um, even though it's technically banned in the country. And this is, this is, again, a misunderstanding of how the politics of the situation work out here. Sometimes the statements like that come from Saudi are just big statements, but actually when push comes to shoves, they just turn a blind eye to it all and let it carry on. If you watch Begin out here um, and the, in, that, uh, in that ad breaks, there's nearly always one talking about renewing your, renewing your subscription and this is how easy it is to do, scan your QR code on the screen. And if you look at the hotlines for you to ring up if you've got issues with your subscriptions, there's a load of numbers with the country's flag next to them, and then there's a last number right at the end with no flag attached to it at all that says other territories. <laughs> hmm. What's the other territory? Because if, if you've got a big book of flags of the world, there's only one bloody territory in the region missing from that list, uh, and they've got a hotline for it. You know, so it's a, it's a huge part of the market um to have it back open again would be significant you've got to look at the world cup coming up in 2022 that i see gorilla gloves was gloating a little bit about on the on twitter today um and and they need the rest of this region's help with that tournament getting fans in getting fans out you need the short off from dubai to qatar um, because people will want to come sometimes and stay in Dubai and then go to games in Qatar. And it'll all be worked out with that in mind because everybody benefits financially in the region. The, Dubai as a tourist hub would benefit massively for from the World Cup because people will come and stay here and then short up into Qatar like they used to. Um, this was always something that was more likely to be worked out than not. Um, but if by then default, it removes the last argument that 
certain members of the big six are hiding behind with regards to uh, Project Big Picture and, and Saudi's involvement in any takeover of any football club, um, then there you go. There's one one less reason that they have to hide away and kick off about objecting to any takeover situation that involves Saudi. Um, and the cooling of the tensions out here always changes things geopolitically, not just regionally, but globally. Um, it, it, it's, as I say, and I've used this phrase before, often these things are like 3D chess where we're just trying to play checkers and you can't see the bigger picture things. Um, it certainly cannot be a bad thing, but I actually also don't think it's terribly relevant uh, when push comes to shove in terms of whether it's going to allow a takeover to go through in other respects. But um, it can't be a bad thing. I think that's probably the, the best way you can sum it up. Okay, Steve, what's your take on it? Obviously, uh, big announcement and Richard Masters waffling on as usual, but uh, yeah, it seemed to be significant. It just seems to be another thing, you know, another thing done. My, my feeling is it's still really going to come down to the arbitration process. Yeah, well, my feeling is that it will not come down to the arbitration process because I don't think either party actually wants to go to court. I think we may have a situation where Newcastle United might want to be able to press the flesh in court and, and you know have their say and might want might want his want his day in, in the in the court. But I don't think the Premier League would want that. I know they'll be fighting and they'll be saying yes, you know, yeah, we've got a strong case. But we all know that it's all down to piracy. And if piracy's if the piracy situation's resolved and if 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 all those this geopolitics that Mitch is talking about and, and this sort of realignment of, of friendships in the in the Gulf uh, is to be believed and it's looking more and more likely, um, not just because of the change in, in the in the in the presidency of, of, the, of the US, but globally uh, the whole pandemic, the whole you know, all of the all of the issues that have gone over the, over the last three or four years, the, the, the problems that have engulfed the, that particular region anyway, where, let's face it, everything, we, we've used that word compromise, and we've said that compromise is always going to have to be a compromise. And it, the, the irony is that if if Saudi and Qatar get together and, and come to some sort of agreement, and yet the big six who we are, we know are the ones, possibly even only five of the six, are the ones who are objected or have objected so strongly about the takeover and used piracy as the excuse and, and stood their ground. And from what we heard a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, even Masters and and the rest of the Premier League board felt as though that, you know, it, it was time to move on, but those those five six clubs were now the power brokers, and now the people who were digging their heels in the sand and saying, you know, no more, no more. They're not coming in, regardless. If Qatar and Saudi sort out the problems, how can the top six still object to what went on in the past when everybody's resolved? It's like it's you know, it's like a it's like a it's like a dead argument, isn't it? You know, oh well, you yeah. did this once, you did that once, you, you were nasty to us, blah blah blah. When when geopolitically, it can all you know the issues can be resolved at a political level, and yeah. a geopolitical level, and yet we still have a situation where the where you know five or six clubs in the Premier League 
I'll still go, no, 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 no. You can't, you're not getting your ball back. No, no, no. And I've given it to you back. You know, no, no. And you can't come into our gang. It's like schoolboy stuff. It's playground stuff. And for me, the pressure will eventually come to bear from the politicians who will say, guys, you don't have a leg to stand on. Now, you're going to have to let this go. You're going to have to yeah. let your objections go and you're going to have to move on because the country needs to move on. Qatar needs to move on and they've, they've asked for it. Saudi needs to move on. Britain needs to move on. And you guys at the top six of the Premier League need to go. You need to move on because you cannot hide behind the fear factor of Newcastle being taken over by PIF. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to go through that. You've got to cut out the chaff, and you're just going to have to accept the 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 whole rationale that's been put in front of you. Allow it to take, allow the takeover to happen, and and live with it. You know, fight against it on the football pitch. Fight against it in the boardroom, in terms of what you do financially to keep your own selves strong. But don't expect to hide behind something that that everybody else in, in the argument has resolved, but you haven't. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I think if if anything, that's what that's where we're gonna be at. We're gonna be the, those those top six clubs in the Premier League are going to be sitting there out on a limb. And if, if from what we've heard, and, and I think it was a it was a, an amazing idea because it because it's done because of the way that the Premier League structure it's not going to come down to a vote of like you know U six and and U fourteen, but if it did come down to a vote, we're hearing that there's actually more support for from the fourteen or the thirteen plus Newcastle for allowed to happen than there is from the six. But that, unfortunately, that's not how it works, um, because it's not the sort of thing that's that's going to happen. It's their it's their own internal pressures, but more importantly, and that's why you've got. NCSL saying keep the pressure on mm. politically, keep the pressure on with your with your letter writing to your MPs. Question and when you get it, I, I was surprised actually those I think it was Guy Opperman was an article in the in earlier in the week where somebody from the Magpie group, I think it was Dave McPherson, who said that he had written to Guy Opperman and then Guy Opperman had, had said what his reply was and and he's gone back and and, and said, you know, I've 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 I've, I've chased them. Unfortunately, it's taken a four month to chase them because his original letter was in August that the lad had written to him, and it's taken. And now Upman's going, "Oh yeah, well, I've 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 gone back to them and I've asked them why they haven't responded." And I'm thinking the first thing that came to my mind was, "Why is it taking you four months, mate? You know, where's your BF? What, you know, in your filing cabinet? What, what's your secretary doing? Turn around and go, you wrote this letter." Uh, Two weeks ago, you haven't had a reply. Fourteen days, I'll get onto them. Four months. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. That's not how it should work. It should. It should have been spontaneous. It should have been. I'll give you fourteen days to reply, and then I'll nail you, and I'll send a reminder, and I'll keep sending reminders. But like, it took it took the support as letter to then shake them up and go, oh yeah, yeah, I've written again. That's embarrassing. To be quite frank, you know that, that's it. That's embarrassing, and it, and, and I, it, as a politician, he shouldn't be hiding behind that. He should be embarrassed by it, you know. But at least he's done something, I suppose. And at least he's he, at least he's keeping the keeping the fight going, or keeping the keeping the topic in the public eye. And you know, and it might help him politically as as we move forward. But that's why we've got to, you've got to do that. 
do what the, the NCSL lads are asking. Keep the pressure on politically. Keep keep hounding them. And when you get when we see letters and we see responses from government ministers or government departments, analyze them. And where they haven't answered the question, go back and say, "But well, you haven't answered the question. This was the question. This is what I wanted. This is the answer I'm looking for. I'm looking for an answer to X, Y, and Z. Why have you told us A, B, and C? It's pointless. So keep on to them. Keep hounding them. You know, keep the letters going, and and eventually you'll get somewhere because <laughs> this this is this is important. You know, and I I, I think you know. People are looking back and going, well, well, you know, what's the point of writing to an MP? What's the point of writing to an MP who's then going to write to someone else? Because it's keeping it in the public eye. And it's and there's more analysis done on this takeover by Newcastle United fans than the vast majority of lawyers and solicitors and and legal clerks. You know, what 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 Keith Patterson and and the rest of the group that he's working with have done is unbelievable because they've opened up so many avenues and and they've been assisted by so many supporters who have been able to feed what about this what about that and and that that whole sort of mushroom cloud that's just exploded mm -hmm. with information because that's what Newcastle fans have been really really good at getting to the nub of what the issues are and hounding and 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 pressing that particular point in those particular points and you just keep it going keep it going yeah i would agree um i just want to say to you mitch the the prem the the ncsl lads have done a great job and steve hasey's just said that but mm. the amount of criticism they've took on twitter this week and and the trolling has been it's been ridiculous hasn't it and and not not necessarily from trolls people just having a pop for the sake of having a pop the trolls have been involved as well of course like I've said before, understand frustration within within the fan base. There's takeover fatigue, and, and and trust us, if you guys are takeover fatigued, um, have a look at my inbox this week. They <laughs> <laughs> um, got to a point by Thursday. I think I was I was willing to just sit in the corner and rock, you know, and and just say, please make it all go away, because <laughs> um, we were bouncing messages between the three of us and trying to make sense of some of the things that was firing around. Um, I've said from from the off, it's it, it's it's all about pressure, like Steve just said, and pressure from as many avenues as I can as we can. The thing I love about our fan base is that you know, and I take the make out of it sometimes, but things like the playing spotters. Well, here's one for the playing spotters. I gather Mike Ashley's due in Newcastle tomorrow. I don't know how how much truth of that is in in, but it's from a decent source. So get the playing spotters onto that one. Um, but uh, come back to the back to the the, the the point. Um, you know we're great as a fan base at information gathering and sharing resources, but we're also great as a fan base is getting very negative and tearing ourselves apart from within. And I understand a lot of it. I really, really do. Um, but I think some of the stuff they've had is also unnecessary. Um, because I I don't see anybody coming out with viable alternatives about what to do it's the easiest thing in the world to be negative about anything Stephen, i would tell you steve about the stuff we had forming nusc which then became nust some of the some of the stuff we got chucked at with 
uh, when we were trying to organise the first protest, so we tried to organise the whole protest. What good is this going to do? No, 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 you don't know what you're doing. Uh, what you're making trouble for? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and it doesn't give her any joy to sit back and say, we told you so. Because it doesn't, it just makes her feel even more shit, to be honest with you. Um, but we're very, it's very easy to get into a negative mindset and chuck bricks at everything and everybody, but then not come out with a viable alternative or even turn around and say to somebody, well, what have you done? What are you doing and what have you done to try and make something happen? Um, and these guys really are trying. Um, and no matter what people say, the, 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 the bruised enough egos within the, within the Premier League and they've created enough pressure to make certain things come out. Um, and that's all we need is that pressure to keep being applied. Um, but it is very easy for things to become internal, for things to become personal, almost on Twitter in particular. It becomes this echo chamber where if you hear something is only what you want to hear because of who you follow and how you manage your own social media. Um, and that's why I think more and more we become better at taking that one step back when somebody says something and thinking, okay, hang on, where are they coming at this from? What's the motivation? What's the driver here? Um, and I think Keith and the guys probably haven't haven't had the, the time doing that that some of us have had. And so, again, I understand their responses sometimes when they get accused of, oh, that's very unprofessional and not very good. Um, God, the amount of times I've wanted to snap something back immediately at someone. And if I had done, I'd have made myself probably end up with egg on my face. Um, and it's sometimes easier just to sort of take a deep breath and turn the other way. Um, but that's also very hard to do sometimes. Um, it's really, really, really um, frustrating when I see that negativity within the fan base. The people talking about, well, I don't want to cause a rift, but I don't want to cause a divide, but... And then the very message they're sending out does exactly that. Does exactly that. Um, and and that's just not useful. Um, we spend our time looking at our differences and focusing on differences. We're not going to all want the same thing. We want Castle to be better, bigger, and, and more representative of what we want. And there's been too much coming from places with own, their own agendas about it, um, which has frustrated me a lot. And I understand how relationships between organisations and bodies and uh, within football work, and 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 some some of those groups want to keep the relationships they have positive for their own reasons, which I get. But it also doesn't mean you should trash somebody else in the process. Um, it's better just to stay out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, big shout out to newworkwear.com, specialists in the supply and branding of clothing in the workplace, uh, who are our main sponsors. Well done, Neil, uh, main sponsors for the StreamYard application and cutexshop.co.uk, makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End, Newcastle, as well as the t-shirts that we sell at newcastlelegends.com. Get yourself on there if you want to buy one uh, for yourself or for somebody as a gift. And we do play out our podcast uh, on iTunes and Spotify. So if you miss the show live and you're out and about and you want to listen to it when you're walking the dog, like Malcolm does, then uh, 
get yourself on there and uh, we've also got some wonderful calendars uh, available and all proceeds are going to the food bank again newcastlelegends.com which takes us nicely into uh, these little items which uh, i'm going to get steve to talk about uh, steve um some wonderful programs signed by rafa benitez um which uh, you have uh, sent me uh, in the last day or two just to have a, a look at and um tell us a little bit about these and uh, what what's happening with them I think those those who have, have got long memories, like I, I, a memory didn't go back a week, will we'll know that we, uh, we we had the we had the premiere of We Are the Geordies last weekend, last Friday night, and that's why we recorded the show uh, last Friday. So at half past seven, we had the we had the premiere. It's we had it. We had a preamble. Uh, the, the show itself, if anybody hasn't didn't have the chance to watch it. It was beautifully put together. Um, George Colton, um, eminent uh, writer in the Northeast, uh, writes for the Athletic now, formerly of the Times. Uh, he present he presented it. He was the presenter of the of the particular evening, and uh, George had gone down to 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 speak to Rafa. He, he went down specifically to have a quick chat with Rafa, and he came back with a little message uh, that was shown before the before the premiere started, and. Um, at the same time, Rafa very kindly uh, signed these three programs. Um, the Fulham program, which was the program that started off uh, the first game of the season um, in the promotion season, where We Are The Geordies is all about. Um, the first home game, which was the game against Fulham, uh, against uh, Huddersfield, which uh, for those with uh, longer memories than, than I, will know that we, we ended up losing that game to one. Um, and then the final game of the season, um, the game against Barnsley, which we won. And uh, we then had that nine-minute wait in the stadium where we suddenly found out that we'd won the championship. And uh, Mick Edmondson from the back page provided us with these three programmes. Um, George took them down and Rafa signed them. And uh, Zara and the team have very kindly uh, suggested that what we do tonight... Um, and it'll go on the NUFC fans food bank um, Twitter account. We're going to auction these three programs as one. These would look fantastic in a in a frame if somebody wanted to frame them up. The first game, first away game, first home game, last home game, the championship season, all with a message from Rafa Benitez and all autographed by Rafa Benitez. I'm going to auction them as one. We'll start the auction on the on the uh, NUFC Fans Food Bank uh, Twitter account uh, straight after this show. I'll put it up there. People can make their bids, um, place their bids. We'll keep it going for a few days, possibly until maybe it's Monday or Tuesday. Um, and then we'll close the auction and hopefully uh, raise a, a decent amount of money uh, for the food bank. Um, all that, everything that, that we get from this will go to the West End Food Bank via NUFC Fans Food Bank. Um, great cause, uh, but more importantly, a great gesture by Zara and the team. And a huge thanks to George for driving all the way down to the Wirral to meet Rafa, uh, who actually sat through the film, by the way, with George. Um, absolutely loved the film, thought it was fantastic. Um, not just because he was in it, he, he, first one, it has nothing to do with that, but the emotion that it brought back and the uh, the strength of feeling and the love that it showed, uh, as he said, that the fans had for, for Newcastle United 
which uh, throughout that season came over in absolute spades. Um, so if you haven't got the video, uh, go out and buy it. You can get it still from most of the usual outlets, HMV, uh, places like that. Uh, you can, unfortunately, I think we can't guarantee that if anyone tried to order it online, they would get it before Christmas, but you can certainly buy it at HMV in Newcastle, HMV in the Metro Centre and in the back page. So if you're looking for a nice little Christmas present um, and you're looking for something that can just be, be you know, just put on, because let's face it, I don't know about you guys, but, well, certainly you haven't, Mitch, but I bet Steve's got a copy of the Radio Times already. And he's seen some of the rubbish that's on over Christmas. So the yeah, first thing you want to do it's is not, go. It's not pretty doing. I certainly you don't get the radio times. I'm not that posh. <laughs> did, did, did you not? Do you not still mark out the the, the programs on? Just gonna see you look like a highlight out already, Stevie. You know, man. I'm too busy doing this. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's a great. We we we've all seen the film. You know, we we we've. We, we've lived in, and breathed this film for four years. Uh, we know what's gone through it. But um, to see the the way that it's been taken on by the fans has been fantastic. And Davey Craig, who's in the film, um, was actually he's actually been approached and he's been on Radio Newcastle this week. And he's just a, he's just a lad who's in the film and Radio Newcastle wanted to hear his story. And so he's just one of the 11 fans that were followed, you know, and it's great. It's, it's absolutely fantastic, you know, um, because it's, it's, it, it's, especially when we haven't been in the ground um, and that, that final, that final piece, you know, so that's my plug for the film. But more importantly, the plug is for the auction. We'll go on fans, you know, uh, uh, NUSC fans, food bank, uh, Twitter account straight after this show. Give us 20 minutes before I get it up. Um, and then the auction, you know, you just put your bids in, send us a DM. Uh, Stuart, who runs it with us, he'll, he'll, we'll collate it all. Uh, we'll keep letting people know how the, how the, how it's going over the weekend. And then uh, we'll just, we'll just have it out there. Yeah. Somebody started already. Will, Will, McFa- Will, Will McFarlane said £150. So if you listen to what Steve's saying, he's going to stick it up on, on Twitter. Yeah. Is it going send under the DM? DM? Is it going onto the food bank account or going onto your yes, account? Not be on my account. I'll do it on the food bank account and then I can keep track. It's, it's yeah. all to do for the food bank. It's all to do for for NUFC fans food bank, which will feed feed all the money to the West End food bank. So that it, that's the that's the best way we can do. That's what fans are used to. Fans are used to NUFC fans being in that place on Strawberry Place on a match day. So I just want to keep that going. Keep the keep the momentum and keep that cohesion and, and that link, um, and then John and the team will benefit um, as they would and just treat it exactly the same as a donation that we have on match days. Um, it's a it's a it's a great cause, um, and I don't think people realise that the, what's happened with the food bank and what's happened with the fan group. Obviously, we we followed on from. Uh, the, the Liverpool and Everton fans who were the, were the originators in 2015, and we were the second club to do it. But there are a number of clubs, and there's a little there's a little group now of, of about 10 or 12 clubs um, in that support us who are doing exactly the same nationwide. And we're now supporting Ian Byrne, who has got this Right to Food um, programme going, and he's put, a, he's put a, a case through in Parliament where he thinks that everyone in this country should have a Right to Food. And I don't think there's anyone out there that would would be able to turn around and go, no, you haven't got a right to food. Because we have, that's what, we have a right to eat. We have a right to, to be provided with food. And 
if he can get that put into legislation that everyone has a right to food, that'll be a massive, massive thing. But at the meantime, we have groups like ourselves and the the the, the Cass United supporters who have been phenomenal over the last four years. And I, I, I was talking to Bill just the other day, and Bill reckons we're up there £350,000, £400,000 um, in the four, four years that we've been doing this in terms of cash donations and the value of produce that's been provided. Um, it, it, and that's, that's, just, that's just a football community. That's just lads and lasses who go to the match every week at St James's Park. And obviously we haven't been there since March. And you know what? The way that Newcastle fans have continued to rally around and provide that that missing link and and still get behind the campaign still get behind the program that we that we've in, that we've introduced is phenomenal and i cannot thank your castle fans enough i'm not surprised by the way because this is the the castle fans are the best fans in the world we all know that and you watch we are the geordies and you know that anyway but for what they've done in the way that they've rallied around their own community to help their own community is absolutely amazing and this is a this is a nice little way of just raising a little bit more cash uh, before Christmas um, on the back of the film. And thank you, uh, thank you to James, and thank you to Zara, and especially thank you to uh, to George Colkin who went down and got these items signed for us. Yeah, yeah. John O's asking Hasty, is that a ref shirt you are rocking tonight? Is it a what? A referee shirt that you're rocking tonight? <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's some. It's some. Some Adidas thing that I got from the outlet shop at uh, at uh, Dalton Park. Neil got us into this, right? There, there are there are outlet stores in Dubai where my daughter lives that Neil got us into whenever I visited the go and that, and you, and you pick up the odd little piece that you've never seen before. Some of it is, you know, there might be four or five items identical, and that's it. And Neil got us into this, and. and I just happened to be down at the Dalton Park, uh, which isn't far from where one of my brothers lives. And um, we, we just happened to be in the shop. And I saw this and I thought, oh, that's neat. And then I looked at it. It wasn't until I started wearing it. Got the stripe. And he's right. It does look like odd. But it's a, it's some sort of Adidas thing to keep us warm, to be perfectly honest, you know, because I'm soft like that. Anyone who I love the comment earlier saying... Anyone who plays footballers will know that I'm, I'm like a five-layer man. I, I had five layers on when I played football, and even then I was cold. So stuff like this, is it's it's brilliant for me. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'm on the balcony. It's 19 degrees, and I'm feeling a bit chilly. <laughs> <laughs> you, always, you always say stuff like that. You always say I love, stuff like I love that. The, I love the comment earlier saying that you were dressed like you were for Logan's run. And I'm thinking, <laughs> is the crystal in your hand flashing yet? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, just a little uh, message from Rich Story, who is one of our uh, panel on uh, the Worldwide Show and Matchday Lives. Uh, just details of a uh, good friend of mine, uh, Neil Robson, um, whose funeral uh, will take place at Berkeley Crematorium on Monday, the 21st of Feb- uh, December at 10 a.m. The funeral cortege will travel from Neil's address to the crematorium via Station Lane, Berkeley, and then onto Ravensworth Road toward Windsor Road before turning into the crematorium grounds. So, uh, obviously, with COVID restrictions and that, it'll be limited, yeah. I would imagine, to friends and close family. Um, but our thoughts are, of course, with Neil's family. Uh, he will be sadly missed. And looking ahead to uh, the match, obviously, at the weekend, and this has been touched on briefly by Mitch, but Steve, I'll, 
I'll come to you first. And Chris Woff put this out, and this is from the press conference today. Bruce on Alexander Mitrovic. I would have loved the opportunity to work with him. He was great up here, and you can understand why he's a cult hero. He's different, big, tough, strong, fiercely competitive, has a bit of an edge to him, a bit like the Northeast. Um, I, I found that out of everything that Bruce said today, absolutely bizarre. Like, um, and I know we've briefly touched on it with Mitch. That's why I've come to you. You know, why on earth big up the the centre forward that's coming to you know potentially play against you at, at St James's Park on a match day? Is it is it a bit of is it a bit of kidology from Steve Bruce? Is it is it stupidity? I I, I'm, I don't really know what it is, but. My my recollections of Mitrovic certainly aren't. I, I thought Mitrovic was bad till we got Joe Linton, but Mitrovic 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 was awful. He wasn't he wasn't he wasn't a cult hero to me. He might have been to the to the young kids who like to go to away games and and chuck log, lager all over each other in an away end, but he, he was no cult hero of mine. Um, he, he couldn't he couldn't couldn't hold a light to the likes of uh, you know Alan Shearer and. David Kelly and Andy Cole and Paul Goddard and you know all of those names that I've seen wearing that beloved shirt couldn't hold a light to them couldn't hold a candle to them but I, I just don't understand I just I just don't understand the the mentality of Steve Bruce coming out with that today. No, absolutely, it was crazy. I, I, when I read it, I was like, "What? Where is he coming from? What? What's that about?" It's like, it's the, well, the first thing is we're playing them. Playing against them, it, the, the guy hasn't even been in the t in their team for the last couple of games, from what I can gather. I, I was actually on the phone just before I, I started the program. I was on the phone to a friend of mine from Fulham, and uh, you know, I remember I, I've had umpteen umpteen conversations with him about Mitrovic, and you know, he's, he's he's very much like us. You know, it's like well, he's a liability on the pitch. Uh, I, I think I think the the, the best thing I say was like when. Well, when we sat with Rafa once, Steve, if you remember, and we talked, we talked about Mitrovic, and I think it wasn't it wasn't Rafa that said it, but it was somebody in the company that was close to Rafa that said he kind of jump. Yeah. <laughs> he's got lead boots. He said he's got lead boots. He kind of jump. He, 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 he's not. A, he's not. A, and I know that he scored goals in the lower league, and I know he scored goals for Serbia at international level, and I know there's a style of play. But he was more, he's the sort of lad that it's like, there's more to football than aggression, you know? And, and it was all elbows and it's all like, it's all like sort of a battle and it's all whipping up the crowd. And to me, a, a footballer that has to spend his time whipping up the crowd is a footballer that has so many doubts about his game that that's, it's like, it's like you've got to hide behind something, you know, you've got to, he didn't need that. He, he, he didn't do anything for Newcastle, you know. Um, he would come on and he would, like, before you knew it, he'd be off again because he'd battered somebody. And, yeah, at the time, we all, you know, the, the section of the crowd loved it because it looked like he had his, you know, he's wearing his heart on his sleeve and he's getting stuck in there. But for, a, for Newcastle's manager to talk about the player from two and a half years ago in the manner that he's spoken about Mitrovic is, like, bizarre in the extreme it really really is i mean i'd rather return round and go yeah mitrovic used to play with it he couldn't he couldn't even get in our team you know and i don't think you'd get in our team now to be perfectly honest and stuff no. like that and and 
big up his own team. Why is he not? Why is he not turn around and go? We've got a far, far better centre forward now in Callum Wilson, which is his ever been. Why is he not seeing stuff like that? Why is he not seeing? Why is he not even seeing Joe Linton and his performances are far better than anything that we've seen? You know, even if it's not true, it doesn't matter because that's that's his player now. You know, it's like yeah. talk, you don't talk about the opposition unless that particular player is Ronaldo or Messi. Right. Then you talk about them in the high level. Then you talk about them as superstars. You talk about, you know, if it was if we were playing Arsenal and it was back in the day, and Robson would talk about Thierry Henry, but he wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't build Thierry Henry up to a point that he made him out that he was better than Alan Shearer, for God's sake. You know, he might talk about and say Patrick Vieira is a fantastic player, but he would then immediately go, but Gary Speed's a much better player because I can get more out of Gary Speed than they get out of Patrick Vieira or something like that. You know, that's what man management's about. You don't big up your opposition. You don't big up an ex-player from your club. Is he is he is he going to put a bid in for him? Is that what it's all about? Is he is he building up to put a bid in for Mitrovic? God, God no. Sakin, you know. Um, those those platitudes should be saved for your Lionel Messi's. Yeah, quite yes, right. Exactly. That's all they should be served for. You know, Mitrovic, and I know people have talked about it. Was a red card waiting to happen, and he still yeah. is. He still is. Um, and I, I put him in the same category as another player that gets mentioned sometimes as was Mbemba, and both moved on simply because they either wouldn't or couldn't do what was asked of them by a manager who demanded his players stuck to his rules and his rules only, no matter how good the player is. And and so there's things in there about attitude that stink. So what the hell he's talking about? I mean, the guy can't even hold the players down at full of at the minute. Yeah. Even though they're not, not particularly doing well in the league, he can't hold his place in that team. And that should tell you everything. And and yet here we he is being brought back like he's like he's Martin McDonald coming back with bloody Arsenal or something like that. You know what I mean? And it's and it's not. Absolutely not. Do you think it was because he had his coffee out there, by the way? He will have done. I probably. Matt, I used to do the well. Obviously, I do talk-ins with Malcolm. You know, when we're we're not suffering COVID, as you know, like pre-match talk-ins, and he couldn't stand oh. Mitrovic. Couldn't stand him. And no, I know. Listen to Malcolm. He, you know, you, you know, he knows a striker when he sees one, and um, you know, he, he was very, very critical of him. You know, all the way through. But uh, yeah, strange, strange situation to 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 praise the opposition striker before he gets here, and I've got no idea why he did it. So. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, we'll just leave Steve Bruce to uh, his own devices. I'm afraid, like he, as as a lot of people are saying in the chat, you know, he can get away with murder whilst there's no fans in the ground, and um, you know, crazy. Mm. Maybe it's because he had a good song, you know, and people used to enjoy singing the song. Maybe maybe people's memories get clouded by that, you know. And we don't have many songs for for players these days. It's um, you know, but that's because most of the players aren't worth singing about because they they're, they're yeah. usually not up to up to standard. I've been doing a few of these dream teams as you know over the last couple of uh, over the last couple of days and when you look back to the, the likes of Philip Albert or or um you know Shearer or whatever there was there was songs, you know what I mean? Les Ferdinand, all of these players yeah. all had songs and that's because there were great players who had an affinity with the club and the fans had an affection for. Whereas, you know, with the exception of maybe Johan Kabai and Mitrovic 
I'd be hard pushed to, you know, to remember this. There's been the odd one, Dwight Gale and, and that, you know, but they don't get sung religiously by home crowds. They probably get sung more at away games. You know what I mean? And um, that's where that's where the singing is. At home, people try, but you're sometimes wasting your time. It's like a library at times. And it's because of the, the because of the dross that's served up. It's funny you should say that, because if you remember that, that, that little snippet that you keep showing of Malcolm, when he talks about his game against Liverpool, when he scored his hat trick, and about the about the song being sung, Superman, mm. Superstar, how many goals have you scored so far? And I, I keep having to remind him that, well, the, the actual words in, in the schoolyard were, Supermax, Superstar, where's Freddie Nickers in a plate X bra? That was the tune of a really sad. And I'll teach you, you misheard the words, Malcolm. You misheard the words. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're, you are right. I, that, that, is, that is true. Um, let's talk a little bit about Matty Longstaff. We've talked about, um, you know, his brother getting a bit of stick um, and whether we thought it was fair or not. But, um, you know, with, with regards to Matty, you know, Mitch, you, there was a lot of song and dance at the start of the season about getting him tied down and we don't want him to leave and he's going to go to Udinese and he'll probably end up playing for Watford instead of Udinese and mm. we can't allow that to happen. And, uh, you know, he's, he's he scored two goals against Man United. He's different class and he's better than his brother. Um, he can't get in the team. No, at a time when, uh, if we're short of bodies and we need, you know... Uh, 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 somebody with an engine in the middle of the park, you'd think he'd slot in. And bearing in mind, he also signed. One of the things we were told he signed the new contract on the basis of was got some sort of guaranteed playing time. So where's that? You know, he hasn't even really made any impact from the bench. So what the hell's going on there? Um, and again, it just feels like, well, is there something going on behind the scenes we're genuinely not aware of? Um, it's strange because... I think his engine in that centre of the park against Leeds might have made a bloody difference. You just don't know. Um, but also, it comes back to, though, along to, to, to sort of like argue with myself, the comment, excuse me, comment I made about uh, you know, a young player in Lewis being chucked in and asked to do too much and now looking like he needs a bit of a break from it all. Um, so, why is one player being handled so significantly different to another? Because we can't say he's not ready for game time. He scored two goals against Man United in two games, man. You know, it, it, people who do that, they must have something about them. So why isn't that being used and exploited at a time when we're short of bodies and short of engine and we've got players who are tired and players who are weary because of COVID and what have you? Um, strange. Don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, Steve, it's a strange situation, isn't it? Why, you know, you can't you can't get back into the team. It is, yeah. You know what? It, 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 again, it comes back to managers. It comes back to managers having the confidence in 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 their own ability to be able to see what's what's out there. Like Paul Gascoigne would never have got a chance. In, in the current game, he wouldn't have got it. He wouldn't have got a look in because the managers, the, the managers in Newcastle's got it at the minute. He wouldn't have dared risk Paul Gascoigne because he would have got. Oh, he's an enigma. He's like you know, he's got loads of talent, but he's got these faults. He's got these problems. He takes he, he takes people people on in the wrong places and that, and it's like that. Um, 
Phil Foden at Man City, you know, they've, they've coaxed him and cudged him. He's played more England games than he's played Man City games, you know, because he's got something about him. Then you look at you look at, at uh, Mason Mount at, at Chelsea, and he's he's probably going to end up as an England regular, and he's he's now a Chelsea regular because they've worked them properly. And and uh, James at Chelsea, another youngster yeah. who they've, they've worked properly, you know, um, and. It yeah, the, looks, the, the man, man, looks like the management of James has been impressive. Yeah, they've been given opportunities, and if you're not going to give the likes of Sean and Matty opportunities, and and to develop them as footballers, in among other good footballers, then you might as well give up. And I noticed there was, it was Birmingham City have decided to scrap their youth team and scrap it. Do away with the whole academy because financially it's no longer vital, and they're going to look at an alternative situation. And I can see, I can see after COVID, I mean, we've we've had this conversation, Mitch, haven't we, about COVID mm-hmm. and the impact that COVID's going to have on on the lower leagues and and you know the rattle through the EFL and in the championship and beyond. But if clubs are now looking at no longer looking at looking at academies and and wanting to develop players that way. Plus, with the with what we've got with Brexit and the way that players' contracts and, ha- and who you can actually bring in is again another for a club like Newcastle is, is vital. Um, they've got to have the confidence in the players like Matty that that, that can come in and mm. and give them the opportunity, have the guts to to give it a shot. That game on 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 Tuesday night. Providing the lad, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe the lad's not fit. Maybe the lad's still carrying injury. Maybe he's not quite right. I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's been affected by COVID. I don't know. But if if everything is is absolutely fine with him, that was a perfect game where a young lad is playing against other young lads in the midfield. Young lads who have been like hungry and been given the chance at a championship level and have moved up. And him, who's been at a Premier League club for the last three or four years yeah. and, and coming through and being part of a squad and giving him the chance to go up against some of those midfielders against against Leeds and show them that, hey, you might have been doing it in the Championship, but I don't even need to go into the Championship. I'm good enough to be able to do it at, straight into the Premier League. You know, you've you've had two or three years because of the Leeds situation to, to be developed. I'm, I'm good enough to do this. And... I think the lad's a confident kid. I think he's. I think he's got that confidence, his own mental confidence, and I think his brother has as well. But who's coaching him? Who's, who's, who has the confidence in them to bring out that confidence in them? You know. So who's who? Who can coach them and and show them what and give them that confidence on the pitch? I, I kind of. I, I, that's why he's not playing because there's nobody out there. Is, is has got the guts. That's the that's the whole top and bottom of it. If a lad's good enough, then throw him in. Like I say right from the start. I reckon I reckon if Gascoigne was starting his career now, he wouldn't get a chance. It's exactly the same as Peter Beards. He had to go way, way down into Carlisle, then off to Vancouver Whitecaps before he then came back and showed us what he was really like. You know? Um that's not gonna happen with 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 with, with young lads now. It's not gonna that's once they've gone, they've gone. They're never, they're never mm. coming back. You know, that's why Gascoigne never came back. That's why Gascoigne went to 
Middlesbrough, Everton and Glasgow Rangers, you know, after Tottenham and after Lazio. He never ever came back and wear a black and white shirt, even though he would have loved to. But once they're gone, they're gone. And why do we spend all this money on academies if we're not going to give those players the opportunity? Either the player's not good enough, fair enough, but to not even give them the opportunity because we've seen that Matty is good enough. You know, like Steve says, he's scored twice against Man United, you know, and he's and he's taken games by the scruff of the neck and he's tough enough to be able to stand up to the likes. And, and his brother was as well, to likes of McTominay, another youngster who's like, you know, playing for Manchester United and holding down his place in the midfield. And yet our lads are like struggling now. And, and it's it just, it's so destroying because we're desperate for young young players to come through. You know, and there are other players in that in that setup that were here, and and we keep. I mean, how many times have you two read the Chronicle and seen the name of a youngster that's going to break mm. into the first team squad and he's getting the opportunity? You know, you know, and I can I can go back and go to like. And the perfect example for me was was Callum Morris. Callum Morris mm. was a young kid that I knew, and I I I, I was me, me pal Paul. We we ran a a, a school football team. And Callum was part of that school football team. Callum, we watched Callum mature. He got into the he got into Newcastle setup. Uh, when Keegan came back, he, Keegan played him against against uh, Hartlepool. Um, he brought him into the first team squad. He thought he had something about him. Callum was like he was captain of the of the Republic of Ireland under twenty ones, under eighteens, that type of thing. Um, then Keegan went, and Callum's chance was gone because the manager that came in after him. Decided that you know, well, no, no, I'm not going to risk any youngsters. No, no. But Kevin had 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 the confidence to like see something in that kid, and we lost him. He he went. His career yeah. his career sort of like drifted through. He's played in he's played in the in the Scottish leagues for a number of years now. Um, you occasionally put in a Scottish game and you see him playing and you think, oh, there's Callum. He's doing quite well. He was the year above my daughter at school. Um, I know his family well, and, I, and I've, I've followed his career. I've spoken to Andrew about him. Um, he, he played for Republic. He, I think he ended up also playing for um, the uh, Northern Ireland. He got it in the Northern Ireland squad at one point. And you just you look back and you think if Kevin had stayed, if King had stayed, and Callum had continued, and Kevin had the confidence in him, and he continued to help him and bring his career on. What would you have been like, you know? And I worry that that's going to happen to Higgs and Matty, you know, because the manager just isn't willing to have, you know, to, to take that gamble and and to have the conviction of what he's seeing because he's looking at a totally different picture. He's looking at more at his own self. Instead of having the confidence in the footballer, have the confidence in yourself to throw the lad in and give him the opportunity, but... Do the, do managers get clouded by their own sort of fear that it's going to impact on them? And, and does that say something about them? I don't know. I mean, I've got my own opinion on it, and I, I feel as though that that's, that's what they do. You know, they, they, they hide behind, uh, oh, well, you know, he's, he's, he, he hasn't, ex, hasn't had the experience. He's never going to get the experience if you're not willing to give him the opportunity, for goodness sake. Yeah, it's a strange situation. I really, really find it strange. 
only one person we can ask the question about that too and it's Steve Bruce and I doubt we'll get any answers we don't tend to get any answers about anything else and uh, yeah I mean look it's you know it's been an interesting few weeks we've got two great wins against Crystal Palace and against uh, you know and against West Brom um, obviously we went down with leads full of hope we came back with nothing apart from a you know what tails between my legs Mitch so we've got Fulham at home tomorrow Um you know, Fulham seem to have picked up a little bit of form. They have, um, but you expect that of teams at the, in the bottom half. They're always going to go through patches where they're more in form than not. For me, given our forthcoming fixtures over um, over Christmas and in the new year, I think it's essential we get three points tomorrow. Keep that little bit of buffer. Uh, that, that that's the thing that loss against Leeds has done is just chipped away at the at what we've got in terms of points in the bank uh, over everybody else, and uh, it concerns me that you think, okay, how many points realistically are we going to get over the Christmas and New Year period? Uh, probably not many, in my opinion. Um, and so we we need those three points. Uh, we, we've got to. From what I've seen of Fulham in the last few weeks, I've caught snippets of their games. Um, what seems to be different about them is energy. They seem to have a, 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 up their work rate. Um, and a, that's noticeable. And probably the reason Mitrovic isn't starting for them at the moment. Um, it, so, for me, yeah, uh, I think it's important uh, to pick up the three points for that reason and that reason alone. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting game, Steve. It's uh, one which, you know, has failed to deliver really on the entertainment, um, you know, value at least at, at St James's Park. But uh, we've got memories of that wonderful trip down to uh, Craven Cottage with Rafa under his last game, and um, you know there has been a few goals and a few uh, a few points picked up against Fulham. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting how. You know, how do you approach this game as a Newcastle manager? How do you, how does Steve Bruce approach it? You know, after making four changes, does he bring those players back in? Um, you know, is he trying to balance it out because we've got a busy Christmas period? And you know, maybe that was his maybe that was his reasoning for changing you know changing those players around. Is he gonna is he gonna bring Shelby, Richie, Almiron back into the team and Gale? I think he starts off with putting post as of Mitrovic all over the dressing room and gives them all a set of darts. Very frankly, and starts throwing them at the board. <laughs> that would be a good start. And go, you know what? Draw, draw mustaches on them. Throw darts at them. You know, get, get. This is this is the bloke that I'm actually praising and think is better than you guys. Go out there and prove us that that, that, yeah, that I'm wrong. That you know, if if that's is that yeah. is that the sort of say? I don't think he's actually doing that. But you know, if because he's come out with that statement and come out and praise Mitrovic, right? Stick his picture all over the wall. And get them to get them to like go. You know what? I'm better footballer than him. I'm, we're a better football team than them. We're a bigger football club than them. And you're a better manager than them than, than they've got. So we're going to go out there and we're going to fight. I, that's the, that's the first thing. You've got to go out. You've got to show your metal. You've got to you've got to show that 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 after the after the way that you played on Tuesday. That you can turn it around and you can put in a far, far better performance yeah. all round. Not just in one or two positions, but all round. Playing as a team and, and actually looking like you've got some structure and some mould about you. 
you know, and you're not relying on Carl Darlow to save three or four shots to keep you in the game, which he did, by the way, you know, because, you know, we're all saying, oh, got the two old. But Darlow, what was interesting, but one of the first games I've seen for an awful long time, that at half-time, Carl Darlow come up, he's covered in mud. Their goalkeeper come up, I didn't know he even had a game. He looked like he just walked out from the start. Dollar was covered in clots. I know the pitch was shocking, wasn't it? You know, and it was chewed up. But he was like, was, I've never seen a, I've never seen a footballer with mud on for, for God knows how many years. You know, and it was like rather odd seeing it, and that showed you how active he'd been in the game. He was all over, yeah. and he's he's making save after save, keeping him in the game, knocking them round, knocking them round the corner, blocking shots, stuff like that. I don't want to see that anymore. I want to see Carl Dolo being like the Leeds goalkeeper was, standing Wait. against the against the post and having a tap or whatever. You know, that's like that's the I, sort of game you want him to have. You know, um, I thought Mark, Mark Douglas made a good get in there and and say, you know what? I've just built them up. Now I want you to go down and knock them down. But does Steve Bruce do that? Does he? I, I don't know. I mean. You know, maybe maybe he's, maybe he's the next video, the next film. Maybe he'll have a word with the club and say, look, we did a really good job on We Are The Geordies. Can we do another one where it's actually a spy on the wall where we're actually in the changing room this time yeah, and the cameras are on the stairs rather than on the, on the fans? Maybe he's then would find out what the real truth is about what this lot are really like. Yeah, I, I, I thought Mark Douglas made a good point after the match about this results being coming. And, and you've got to look at how active... Uh, you know, Darlow's been. I've noticed some of the some of the people trotting off stats and stats and stats and the old XG stuff. Um, suddenly, you're going quiet about how many saves Darlow's making and how active he is in a game because he is. He's the most active keeper in the league, and that's a failing of the defence and the midfield organisation in front of him. It's not his fault because I thought he again didn't have a bad game the other night, and yet he's had five goals in. How can you not have a bad game and left five goals in? Is it ironic then, Mitch, that that in the last two seasons, because in my mind, the player of the season so far, we're coming up to Christmas, so the player of the half season has been Darlow. Yeah. And in the previous season, the player of the season was Dubravka. Yes. So under the two seasons, or the season and a half under Bruce, where best player has been my goalkeeper. Right. Is, that, is that coincidental? You know, or look, am, it, or am it, I looking it, at this from like some sort of alternative reality here? Darlow's form has been a significant part in that they're in a fortunate position to take their time bringing Dubravka back. They haven't had to rush him back. We know, at least when Dubravka does come back and gets an opportunity to get in the team, he'd be properly fit. You're not being rushed back, and that there's only one reason for that, and that's Carl Darlow's form. Oh, you, you, sold. You, or he'll be sold. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, Dar- Darlow's Darlow's form um, is fantastic. It's a it's a welcome highlight of a otherwise disappointing season in so many ways in terms of performances on the pitch. Again, comes back to the argument: How do you want to? rate of success, how do you want to value what you're doing as a team? Um, but in these these performances where we're getting 30 to 35% of the possession and we're, and we're letting the opposition have have well into double figures shots on target, um, you need to keep her in form like that. Uh, otherwise, you just rock bottom the league. And that, as Mark Douglas really said, 
that looked like it was performance that had been coming for a long time. Yeah. You know yeah. what annoys me, guys? What annoys me is that we're on 17 points. We could have been on 20. We could have been five points away from sort of yeah. up there with the top spot. But we're not. You know, no. and, and, and it's that and it's a crap. This this is of all seasons. This is this is a this is a situation where you know a couple of seasons ago, Leicester City snatched the league. You know where they suddenly they had a run and nobody saw them coming, and they ended up winning the league. That type of thing. And we're we're looking at we're looking at Everton. We're looking at it's it's Southampton, uh, Wolves to a certain extent with their result the other night. And we're seeing we're seeing clubs that shouldn't be there or thereabouts actually shaking it up. And what's what's really annoying is that we are not one of those three or four, and not part of the four shaking it up, because we should yeah. be shaking it up. But when we are the club that should be there or thereabouts, um, because the top teams are are leaking goals, that they're, they're, they're dropping their standards, that they're, they're, they're using excuses of COVID, they're using excuses of of. Yeah. Of injuries, they're using head injuries and not being able to bring substitutions in play. They're demanding five substitutes instead of three. Every yeah, are, 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 are we going to have that out. vote? Are we going to have that vote every fortnight until they get their own way? We are. What? I think so. You know, what's, I mean, what's going on with that? The first thing that's going to happen is either it's either going to be they're eventually going to win that. Or Trump's going to end up staying as president, and I'm wondering which one's no. going to happen first. <laughs> it's getting to that crazy situation. But this is a, this is a season where it's going to be an opportunity missed for Newcastle, mm-hmm. you know, because of because of, of, of the circumstances. And we'll, Bruce, if Bruce is still there at the end of the season, he should, you know, he might look back and go, you know what? At the beginning of December, we're on 17 points. On middle of December, 17 points. I could have been five points away from top spot. Mm-hmm. I could have been in that concertina part. The results went yeah. a certain way at Christmas against with Man City and with Liverpool and Man United, who incidentally have won five. I think they've won they've won every away game this season. They cannot win at home, you know. And it's their away form that now people are talking about. And I listened to uh, Matic in the call this this morning, and. And he was saying that they think that they're in with a chance of winning the league. It was only a couple of weeks ago that they were they were talking about Saltzgar getting a sack and Pochettino coming in. That's how crazy this league is. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. it's all over the place, and that's why a, a run by the likes of a Southampton or an Everton or a Wolves or a Newcastle could have really really shaken this up. But we're not going to be part of that. And that's that for me, is is a, an opportunity not just missed, but like you know sliced from from the edge of the box into into the corner flag, if you know what I mean, into, in football terms, you know. Um, and it's also why you've got the likes of the second season syndrome that's coming in at Sheffield United because they were they were like you know oh what a fantastic team they are. Look at them now. And this is yeah. the Premier League. You know, it, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for it to like slip. And for you, when you lose games and, and, and your confidence goes and you, and you don't make changes, you don't make the purchases. Mm-hmm. Tell you what, the January is going to be vital for Newcastle. There's, if, is he going to spend if, any money, lads? Buys come in. There's got is to be guys gonna... come in to strengthen them because we could end up... Because that... Because... <laughs> 
the gap is going to appear and then we could be struggling and we know what happens with Bruce Field. Well, it'll go like that, like a stone. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's the big. That's the big question, Mitch. Is he going to spend any money? You know, or is he just going to concentrate on loans? Difficult. I, I think probably concentrate on either loans or or value signings. Um, my um, personal feeling is, and certainly something I was. This is why I've used the 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 the, the waypoint of Christmas being vital. Um, in terms of my understanding, is is that any they had things progressed quicker? Take otherwise, there was people ready to go to try and hit the ground running. Um, and that still could happen within January, I guess. But then we're working on very tight time frames. Yeah. That said, if Ashley's got half a brain and he can, he can understand how the football's looking and working at the moment and looks at that string of fixtures we've got to go through Christmas and New Year. Um, I think if he wants to remain in a position where he's going to get the best price for the club he's ever going to get for the next probably the next five to ten years, then you would be stupid not to invest a little bit of money if there's money there to be invested. Um, it should be. My concern would be um, how much input Bruce has into who he brings in. Seeing we're being lined up for Man United's rejects who can't get in that squad and have a squad number. That doesn't... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, there you go. I pressed the button, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, <laughs> this comes to conversations we've had this week. You know, is that really the best we can expire to? There's two... Two defenders who've been nothing but criticised for the last two years at Man United and haven't even got a squad number. And is that really the the, the best we're looking at for the transfer window? Because um, we need better than that. Um, so I think if 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 Ashley's got a... Um, it, it, it's one of those moments like when he did actually dip into his pocket and invest in the, the little French cluster that January. January's such a rubbish window to buy players in. Nobody seems to like it. Nobody seems to enjoy it. It seems to inspire more panic buys than will rig, and 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 so uh, it, it's one of those situations where you would rather not be investing in January. But if he wants to protect that investment, wants to protect that deal, because uh, as sure as eggs is eggs, you won't get that amount of money if we end up in the championship at the end of the season. Um, he's got to invest, but it's got to be the right investment. It can't just be random investment. It's got to be strategic. I think if it's done, it's got to be strategically placed. Um, if they want value, they've got to look at where they can get the best value. Um, I gather there's a couple of French clubs now in financial bother. Maybe there's players there for the picking, you know, because if we've got a little bit of cash to spend, they, the French clubs traditionally aren't cash rich. That's why the players... You know why we've had so many French players over the years because we make them deals that they can't say no to. You know, um, so that's for me, though, Mitch, that's interesting what you're saying because with the, the the issue with the French league is that they the play, the clubs went out and have, have spent the TV money that they were mm -hmm. promised that they haven't now got right, and that that, that is now being pulled. And what's interesting with all of that, is that the reason that that TV deal collapsed 
was because of BN Sports. Mm-hmm. Because because there was a there was a there was a deal agreed, and then BN Sports changed the whole platform. Right, okay. so th- these guys went out. The, the club spent the money. The guys who took the contract were un- on the understanding that they were going to be then be able to take that platform and sell that platform to BN Sports. BN Sports decided not to do it, mm-hmm. and and destroyed at a stroke because. Okay, the guys who, who started it, the guys who, who, who made the original deal, which was probably, you know, an, an overspend anyway. You know, it was like a, a crazy deal to begin with. But then BN Sports have stepped in and gone, you know what, we're not, we're not going to... Because it was, a, it was one of those deals where you, you took... The, the, they put the money to the football clubs. The football clubs took the money and they thought they were then going to be able to sell it on. And sell mm-hmm. sell those games as like a, a third party to third parties, and they expected BN Sports to be the part one of the parties that would take it and take that French football mm-hmm. because of the connections in France, because of the because uh, yeah. of the, the PSG, the Moroccans, and the, and, the, and that particular MENA region uh, connections. And BN went, no, we're not new. And at a stroke, the deal collapsed <laughs> because they realised that they've spent the money. And now the, ham- the the clubs are now hamstrung, and that the, 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 the only way they can get out of it is to sell their players. Yeah. The worry for the, me uh, is that we end up with a Riviere instead. Of, you know, instead of a top instead of a Genola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, they, look, I think also as well though, being re- realised the deal that struck was going to help all the other clubs in the league, and the club that was going to help the least was PSG, their club. Yeah. And I think they just decided, nah. Do you know what? Nah. And and so I think their their rates have been picked up by a Spanish media company, I think. It's probably I think I think it's a, is it a third of the price they originally had? Yeah. It's something like that. I, I, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but I know it's a significant impact. And there are some clubs who are perceived as big clubs in France really genuinely need to be um need to be looked at in a in a as places you could pick value up. Because they're cash poor, yeah, yeah. Um, and and in mm. we've gone in extra time. <laughs> it has beaten the clock's been with lots of people saying happy Christmas. Uh, Jason says Mitch's widow twangy hasty as buttons, and Steve W was the fairy godmother. <laughs> I always play the villain, Jason. You need to get up with a program, mate. I always play uh, the villain in these things. The last the last one I played actually was in the Robin Hood and. Um, Robin Hood and the, the Sheriff of Nottingham. I played um, Ashley Lambias Earp. That was the name of my character. So, uh, and you know what, Steve? I was in the audience and I booed you continuously. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Great, great stuff. Lots of people saying Happy Christmas. You don't need to say Happy Christmas. I uh, had a chat with the lads off air and we are going to make an appearance on Christmas Eve for one hour. Uh, so we've got the Three Amigos Christmas special for one hour. Um, time to be confirmed, but I would assume it's going to be round about the four o'clock mark. I've also pre-recorded a, a really good show with Liam uh, Kennedy for Christmas Eve as well. Uh, we look back over the last 30 years of Newcastle number nines and Liam picks his top nine number nines. So that will be going out at six o'clock. So we'll be doing four to five. I would imagine if that's good with the lads and then uh, hopefully six or seven, you'll be able to sit in and watch that. Yeah. We'll have put plenty of stuff up over the Christmas holidays. We're all having some I, time off. I have to say, Steve, I enjoyed doing the Dream Team with you. That was... That Dream was a good hour's crack. 
Dream Team's been great. I'm hoping to get Steve Hasty in the bag over the next couple of I've, days. And I've then... got mine. I've got mine here. Don't worry. Don't we've worry. Got... I've got mine already. <laughs> we've got some of those. We've got some great ones lined up. We've got some regular people. So we'll have Steve. We'll have Mitch. We've got. Uh, we're, I did Spenny's today. Uh, we've got Daz. We've got Martin. We've got Nathan. Uh, I'm going to try and get the girls as well if they if they're up for it. But um, also done a couple of specials uh, for Super Matt and Gibbo so that you can get your uh, your weekly fix of Super Matt and Gibbo for the couple of weeks that we're having off. Uh, first up, we've done a, a road to Wembley, the 1976 road to Wembley. That is the League Cup final where Newcastle faced Man City and Malcolm and Gibbo talk a little bit about uh, the, the run to Wembley and then the final itself. And we've also done uh, Super Mac The England Years, which is a cracking programme. Really enjoyed just sitting listening to both of them. I, I say very little on both of those shows, but we literally just uh, listen to those two wax lyrical about the good old days and some great stories about on and off the pitch. So uh, don't forget, tomorrow it's Match Day Live, um, hosted by Daz and Martin. So I'm looking forward to uh, taking part in that, but uh, watching the guys uh, run the show whilst uh, I'm uh, down in London working. But I will be chipping in. I will be uh, relying on them to keep me updated as to what's going on. Uh, with the game as well. So, uh, quick prediction, lads, before we finish off. Steve, your prediction for tomorrow's game? One all. One all. Okay. What about you, Mitch? One nil to us. One nil to us. Okay. I'm gonna go. I think there'll be goals again. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two two. Um, I went for that the other night, and I was I was right up until uh, the last <laughs> the last part of uh, the last part of it. Last ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, says Gary Douglas. Merry Christmas uh, yes, and happy birthday, and uh, loads of loads of positive comments coming in. Uh, don't forget the troll documentary is on Sunday, um, and it'll be going out at six o'clock. Uh, think before you tweet is a campaign we've launched, and we're running it all the way through. Uh, December, uh, please just be a, a little kinder on social media to your fellow Newcastle fan and other people Steve, uh, Mitch, I will see you on Christmas Eve for that hour special take care lads, have a good weekend cheers everyone Merry Christmas. take care, thanks for the present <laughs> think before you tweet think before you tweet think before you tweet think before you tweet think before you tweet. Please, just think before you tweet. 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 Think before you tweet.